The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com uh, If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I promised we would be back in Colossians, and so here we are. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Now, Here's something that I want to make sure that we clear up. When people say God does not want us to party, you obviously have not read the Bible. (laughs) Parties that the Israelites threw, believe it or not, actually shame the parties we throw today, especially when there's victory. When victory is won, Man, did they party. I think that professional sports teams today, when they win the Super Bowl, the World Series, NBA Championship, and they do that parade in the city, they could learn a lot from what the Israelites did. And the people uh, in that area, it's not just the Israelites, the people in that area, when there was victory, they partied. Yeah, check out Rome. I want you to see this. There's a description that was given by Plutarch, and he talked about the triumph given the Roman general Amelius Paulus upon his return from capturing Macedonia. He says this, Oh, there were great scaffolds that were erected in the forum and along the boulevards of Rome for spectator seating. And all of Rome turned out dressed in festive white. On the first day, there was a parade of 259 chariots that displayed in procession the statues, pictures, and colossal images taken from the enemy. On the second day, the innumerable wagons bore the armor of the Macedonians. As Plutarch tells it, he says this, all newly polished and glittering, the pieces of which were piled up and arranged purposely with the greatest art, so as to seem to be tumbled in heaps carelessly and by chance. Helmets were thrown upon shields, coats of mail upon graves, Cretan targets and Thracian bucklers and quivers of arrow lay huddled amongst horses, bits, and though they, and these were appeared the points of naked swords intermixed with long Macedonian sarises. All these arms were fastened together with just so much looseness that they struck against one another as they were drawn along and made a harsh, alarming noise so that even as spoils of the conquered enemy, they would not be held without dread. Following the wagons came 3,000 carrying the enemy's silver in 750 vessels, followed by more treasure. And on the third day came the captives, preceded by 120 sacrificial oxen with their horns gilded and their heads adorned with ribbons and garlands. Next, Macedonian gold. Then, the captured king's chariot, his crown, and his armor. Then came the king's servants that were weeping with hands outstretched, begging the crowds for mercy. Next came his children, 
Then King Perseus himself, clad entirely in black, followed by endless prisoners, finally came the victorious general. Plutarch said, seated on the chariot, magnificently adorned, dressed in a robe of purple, interwoven with gold, and holding a laurel branch at his white, in his right hand, all the army in like manner, with boughs of laurel in their hands, divided into their bands and companies, followed by the chariot of their commander, some singing verses according to the usual customs, uh, custom songs of triumph and praise of Amelius's deeds. So family, what we see here is this an amazing processional, a picture of what a country did when there was victory. Look at the celebration. What an amazing celebration it was. This is just a small, small picture, family, though of the victory that we actually have in Christ. What Christ accomplished and what he had overcome is actually so far beyond what we have seen and what many, many, many have celebrated over the years. Pictured in all of world history, none of it, none of the victories that we have seen even comes close to comparing with the victory that we see that Christ has won. None of it has lasted the sands of time except the victory of God that many devout Christians will still celebrate every single day today. It hasn't stopped, family. Think about it. It hasn't stopped. And even more Christians will celebrate it every week on the Lord's Day. And shall I say, every more, even more Christians will celebrate it on Christmas and Easter. The death, the burial, and the pivotal resurrection of Christ. God the Father demonstrated a great victory over the evil powers of this world, in effect making a public spectacle of them. He wants us to see that though they still exist, they are defeated. And in this world right now, we see it. We see the defeated enemy. We see the defeated foe all over this world. But God's not wanting us to be afraid. God's not wanting us to be worried. God's not wanting us to doubt. What God wants us to see is he wants to see them. He wants us to see that they are defeated. You see these groups? You see these powers? You see these authorities? Yeah, they're here, and they are defeated. They're done. They're done. The pivotal victory We need no longer fear the outcome of our battle with evil, family. But yet today, we do. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? We no longer need to fear the outcome of our battle with evil, yet we do. Many of us still live in fear concerning the things that are still around us, the powers that be, 
those who have the power and maybe even the ability to ruin us in every possible way. We, as the church, fear the world. We fear the people in the world. We feel, fear the circumstances and situations that happen because of current cultural endeavors. We fear the media. We fear the press. We fear the very expressive person that lives down the street that's going to tell every single person who we voted for and telling us who, uh, that they all should hate us. We fear what people will do to us if we speak the truth. If we speak the truth, we're afraid of what they'll say to us. We're afraid of what they will do to us. And the Lord is telling us today that all of these people and all these authorities and all of these principalities and people that stand against us, he's telling us that they have already been defeated. Why are you afraid? It's done. It's already been defeated. Why are we afraid? Family, it's not just the body of Christ. It's not just the evangelicals of today. Family, we've seen it, right? Many of you have seen the interviews that that pastors will have on on big uh, uh, late-night television shows, on news media and all this stuff. And we've seen many pastors and church leaders who can't answer the simple questions on the biggest platforms because they're afraid of what's going to happen to them if they tell everybody what we really believe. And I I remember a a moderator on a a big, big platform, national television. So are you saying that if there, there, that Muslims and Mormons and all these other religions, because they don't believe that Jesus is Lord, are you saying that they're going to go to hell? I'm not not saying that, that, you know, that they're going to go to hell. I'm not, I'm not going to judge as to who they, you know, that, that's not me. You know, I just said, but the Bible, well, but you know, yeah, but you know, the Bible, you know, just they can't answer the question. And I'm sitting there shaking the television going, the answer is yes. But we know. Why won't they say it? Because they're afraid. Afraid of what's going to happen to their ministry. Afraid of, of everybody leaving their church because of it. Afraid of the bad name that they're going to have. Afraid of all that they're going to lose by saying what it is that they're supposed to say. Why are we afraid? We're showing the entire world that we're afraid. We're afraid of everything. Afraid of everything that the Lord has already defeated. Family, it's already done. The victory is won. The enemies have been paraded across the world. Why do we fear? We fear because it's not our lives that we're worried about. It's our lifestyle. Oh, yeah, I think in in a lot of ways in our culture, oh, yeah, we're quick. we, We will lose our lives, no problem. But, man, we just will not lose our lifestyle. Don't mess with my lifestyle. We're afraid of what people can do to our lifestyle. And you know what the reality is about our lifestyle? If we talk about our lifestyle, lifestyle that we have in our culture, lifestyle that we have in this world, the world has a lot to do with our lifestyle, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, the world can affect our lifestyle. Oh, yeah, the world, all they got to do is make some decisions. And the next thing we know, we're paying, you know, $2 more for our gas. Now I can't travel. This is, this is crazy. 
And the pattern of this world is in control of that. We want the defeated enemies. We want what the defeated enemies can give to us. That's why. That's why there's a problem. And so God has ripped them of their power and we're giving it right back to them. God has set us free from their control and we just gave it back to them. Why have we done this? We're loving the world and we are afraid that the world won't love us back. He delivered us from Egypt and all we want to do is go back. And to make matters worse, pulpits across America don't proclaim the words and works of Christ anymore. They don't proclaim the gospel of Christ anymore. They don't proclaim the victory in Christ. So we're not reminded that the victory is won. Why do we do this? This is what we needed to be delivered from. This is what we needed to be shown The world has been defeated, but man, we really, really, really have a problem letting go of it. And that's that's the thing that we've got to be honest with ourselves with today. Got to be honest. Let's just be honest. How much of the world actually has control over us? How much does the world affect us? How much do we listen? How how much uh, security do we find? It's really interesting when you think about it more and more every single day. We're supposed to be evangelizing the world with the gospel of Jesus. But instead, it feels like the world has evangelized us with the message of self, self, more self, self-gratification, and the biggest one, self-delusion. Wow. Why does this happen? Because they're already defeated and this is what we've need, we need to be shown. We need to be shown that this is why Christ had to die. We overcome this. We will defeat this because they're already defeated. Family, today, Christ has conquered. We have conquered. And we will conquer in the end. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May it forever be a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for the joy that it brings. We thank you that it is truly more precious than gold. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, The first thing we're going to look at today is the all-important subject of what it means to be totally depraved or for us to be dead in sin. The second thing we will explore is what the Lord has done to bring us forgiveness and bring us from death to being alive in Christ. Finally, we will 
see not just the beauty of forgiveness, but the actual great victory that was won. And that there ain't no party like a Christian party because the Christian party don't. All right, almost. You guys don't know that one? There ain't no party like a Christian party because the Christian party don't stop. Thank you. All right, all right. All right, sorry. Thanks, Norberto. <laughs> Our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to forget the defeat of all that we fear and the dead seduction of the defeated, it is the truth of scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will help us to see that we, are not, we not only have victory over the defeated and we are no longer dead, but that we will continue to be victorious over them in Christ, alive in Christ alone. Man, man, we got victory today. This is amazing. Okay, so we, we will get the full effect of how amazing this victory is. Like I said many times, the good news, we'd hear the good news, but the good news becomes so much sweeter when we really understand the bad news. We really got to get the bad news. What does it mean for us to be totally depraved? Totally depraved. What does it mean for us to be dead in sin? What does that mean? St. Augustine, remember it's St. Augustine. It's not St. Augustine. St. Augustine is in Florida. St. Augustine is in heaven. God, St. Augustine said this. He said this. He prayed this. Lord Command what you will and grant what you command. That's huge. Command what you will. Most everyone will agree with that. But then when St. Augustine prayed, but grant what you command. Oh, people had problems with that. Oh, Pelagius had problems with that. He did not like the second part of the prayer He comes out and says, no way, Augustine, you're wrong. No way. If that is the case, then you are saying that we are morally unable to do what the Lord commands. That's exactly what Augustine is saying. Unable to do what the Lord commands. And so the debate began, and it actually still in a lot of ways continues today. But my question with this has always been to those that would support Pelagius on this. How can we do what the Lord commands if we're dead? This is not Augustine. This is not theologians at the time. Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote, said that we are dead in sin. Total depravity, again, we're not suggesting that that means that we are as bad as we can be. People will be like, well, Shane, I could be so much worse than I am. I know, I know, but that's not what totally, total depravity is talking about. It's not talking about that we are as bad as we can be, you know, because people will say, well, Shane, people who are not even Christians, they do good things every single day, right? Because total depravity doesn't mean that we are, not, that we are as bad as we can be. Total depravity means that we are not as good as we should be. Do you guys get that? This is huge. This will fix everything. 
Total depravity is not that we are bad, as bad as we can be. It just means that we are not as good as we should be. And this paints the big picture. Right? This, is, this is the button, man. You Boom, you say this stuff. This is where it gets. The reason we are confused with this is because our incessant need And this is a really big issue, and I wish that I could grab every single evangelical Christian and shake them like this and say, listen to me right now at this very moment what I'm going to say because this is super important. We, for some reason as Christians, we have an incessant need to compare ourselves. When it comes to right and wrong and doing good and doing bad, you know what our need is or what we do? We compare ourselves to other people. Oh, we always do this. Why do we do this? When it comes to right and wrong, we compare ourselves to other people. When it comes to judging good people and bad people, we make that judgment based upon other people. We always do. We always do that. When pollsters come out and ask the question, if we believe that human beings are basically good, did you know that majority of our cultures will say yes? The majority of our culture actually believes that people in this world are basically good. And when they ask them why they believe that, well, because even though there are murderers and there are robbers and there are, you know, all those people that do evil things, you know, there are those. There's still a minority in our culture because not everybody's murdered people. It's just a minor, you know, so you see what they're doing? They're comparing our goodness based upon how bad somebody else is. So as long as I got people in this world that are doing really bad things, I feel good. You know why? Because I can stand there and say, you know what? I'm not like super good, but I'm not as bad as he is. And as long as I've got that, I can walk around and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing good in life. I'm feeling really good, you know? Well, but what about sin in your life? Well, yeah, I I mean, you know, I make mistakes, but, you know, if you want to talk about the gospel, Jesus dying for sins, man, there's a prison, you know, just right over, I'm all turned around. Okay, there's a prison just right over somewhere. Yeah, okay, there. Go talk to the prisoners over there. They're the ones that need Jesus, not me. I don't know if you guys have relatives. I have relatives that do this. And they, they know, you know, they call, they, you know, they call me the, uh, one, of them, one of my cousins called me the minister. And she's just like, oh, the minister is coming to the house. I got to warn everybody that the minister is coming to the house and everybody's got to clean up their language. And I'm just like, man, you know when you say that, it's, it's, like, it's like in the behind the scenes, there's like this music that goes, you know, when she says the minister and you hear this cello in the background going, boom, the minister. I say, I kind of like it. It makes me sound like I'm an assassin or something like that, you know. <laughs> the minister is coming. Yeah, that's right. Give, yeah, give me your money, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, the minister or, 
you know, the, 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 you know, all this stuff. And so what happens is I come, I come by and we start talking, and it's, and it's always good. You know, you know how I am, right? I'm always just, you know, just have fun with everybody and talking and stuff. And then, you know, we start talking, and then I start talking to some of my older aunts, some of my older cousins and stuff like that. And you know what? They, this happens a lot. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the Bible. How are you doing as a minister and all that kind of stuff? And, and I talk about how about this and about the church and what's going on at the church, and, and they always go, you know what I need you to do? What's that? I need you to go talk to your cousin. You guys ever get this? Go talk to your cousin, man. They, they need it. They, they need some help, man. They need some serious help in their life. Go, you, Shane, you need to go talk to my son. I don't know what your uncle is up to these days. You, just, you, know, you need to talk to them. And I'm like, would sit there and I'd just be like, well, but, but I'm talking to you right now. Let's, let's talk about this. Oh, oh me? Oh, I don't, I, don't need, I don't need religion in my life. Like, my, my son needs religion in his life. Yeah, he does. You know? It, and then it's like, when you talk with them, it, it, it inevitably comes to this. She thinks she's okay. Why? Because she's not as bad as some people. And if she wasn't, and if she is, a, you know, not as bad as them, then she's good. Then she's got to be doing something good. Sure, Shane, good people do bad things from time to time, but what do we hear? The mo- one of the most famous things you hear every single day. Nobody's perfect. I always said that. Shane, come on. Good people do good things all the time, but come on, nobody's perfect. Ah, but wait. We are not supposed to judge right and wrong and human behavior by comparing ourselves to other people. We're supposed to judge right and wrong, comparing ourselves to God's standard. Comparing ourselves to what God demands. So come on, Shane, nobody's perfect. So, you know, they're not perfect, so they're okay. They don't need God. They, they, don't, they don't need to be perfect. Ah, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says what? But you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So people in the world saying, hey, nobody's perfect. But Jesus is telling us that God demands we be perfect. And if you are not perfect, you are falling short of the glory of God. Huge. This is so huge, family. This is huge, huge. Very, very important that we see this. When we compare ourselves to the standard laid out by Scripture as to what is right and wrong, we recognize what? We fail. We fall very short, way short of the standard that God has given us. And and, and evidently what happens is is even even now we're so consumed with this idea, with the culture bringing this stuff down, and we just don't want to make ourselves, you know, feel bad. And really, family, you know what this comes from? This comes from the self-esteem movement that was started in the 60s that has really permeated the church. And so the self-esteem movement, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, ah, you're all right. You are terrific. Today, you are terrific. You know, that whole self-esteem move. So I don't want to say anything bad, all this stuff. But the scriptures is letting us know something very, very important. That when God says, or when Jesus says, you need to be perfect, do you know what he means? You need to be perfect. 
And family, I have not, I, I tell you, there's no shortage of ministers who will get, ministers, see, I'm saying it now, <laughs> pastors who will get behind the pulpit and they will say, well, you know, when Jesus says you're supposed to be perfect, he's not really meaning that you're supposed to be perfect because nobody's perfect. So what you need to do is you need to understand that what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about maturity. He's saying that when he says be perfect, he's meaning that you're supposed to be mature. Our God is so good. Our God knew that we were going to mess with this, didn't he? It's, it's almost as if Jesus knew that at some point in the 1960s, the self-esteem movement was going to come and was going to infiltrate the church and start getting all of us to start believing that God didn't mean for us to be perfect. He just wanted us to grow up and to be mature. It's almost as if Jesus knew this was going to happen. You notice that when the preachers that are preaching this stuff, they say, you know, but you are to be perfect. They stop there. And they say, well, you know, the Greek word did this and this. You know what the Greek word actually, uh, when you translate the Greek word for perfect, you know what it actually means? Perfect. So you can't get around that. You know what they always do? They always skip this next part. But you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He gave you the standard. He gave us the standard right there. So he's not talking about maturity. He's talking about perfection. And the perfection that our God demands is his own perfection. And if you see it that way, you recognize and realize we fall way short of the glory of God. But Shane, come on. I'm not like those evil people. We always goes right back to the people, right? You know, I don't want to see the word. Let's, let's talk about the... I, come on, seriously. God is going to condemn me when these people do all of this stuff? All of these guys have done horrible, evil, evil things. They have fallen way short of the glory of God. They've fallen. They've done it. This is all this stuff. But, you know, there are people that kill, people that rob banks. You know, I may tell a lie every once in a while, but come on. These guys are way worse than me. They're the evil ones. They're the ones that deserve punishment. They have real guilt, not me. Well, when we stop looking at other people and we look at the scriptures, what does the scripture say in James chapter 2, verse 10? James chapter 2, verse 10. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one. Here's the person. You've kept all the laws. You've done everything God wants you to do, but you just messed up on one. You messed up on one law. You didn't keep one law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of the laws. Whoa. Shane, can we go back to comparing ourselves to other people? I feel better when you do that. No, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people. We're supposed to compare ourselves to Scripture. And what does Scripture say? Yeah, you break one of them, you are as guilty as somebody who's broken all of them. There is no comparing yourself to other people. There's no, he's better, you know, he's worse, you know, I'm worse, but he's worser. You know, there's none of that. There's none of that. The reality is, is that I am, if I break one command, I am as guilty as somebody who's broken all of them. 
when we stand before God, man, it is a different story. And God is not going to be sitting over there going, hey, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's right. You know, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You know, so I guess you're okay. No. Did you break one? Yes. And get over there with the others. I, I know that I'm tough. I know. I think this does, a lot of this is the reason why the, the Bible's not being preached anymore today. We just don't want to see it. We just don't want to hear it. And we absolutely can't deny it. Another thing, did you know that when we do good things, that that's even suspect? Did you know that? Like even when you're saying, you know what, I did something good. Maybe not. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Are you ready for this? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. What is it saying there? Even when you do your righteous deeds, even when you do the good things, the Lord is saying, those are filthy rags. Why is it filthy rags? Because we are all infected and we are impure with sin. Doesn't matter what we touch. Seriously. We don't really even realize that, right? We don't even realize this stuff. When we're trying to do good things, we are messing things up and we're actually sinning even more than it was when we actually blatantly go out and sin. Now I'm looking at a lot of you and I'm seeing the crinkled forehead. I'm not sure if the the crinkled forehead is because we don't understand or if you don't agree. But here's the thing. I'm going to say it. It's not in my notes, but I'm just going to say it because I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure. But let me just make sure I make the point. Do you guys remember the story of Uzzah? Uzzah was the guy that was walking next to the ark. And the donkey stumbled, right? And the ark was going to fall. And Uzzah did something that was so good. He did something that was so amazing. He did something that was extraordinary. Everyone's just, huh. But Uzzah, man, was like the flash, right? Just, or not the flash. Let's go even back further. You guys will know this one. The bionic man. <laughs> right. So the ark is falling and Uzzah goes, nah, 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 nah. Remember? Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I only know this because I'm flipping through some of the, the you know, the things that, and they're going, to, everyone's going back to all these old TV shows, right? Nah, 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 bionic woman. Nah, 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 nah. And then the ark falls, about to fall, and Uzzah comes, and he grabs the ark, and he sets it back. Wow, he wouldn't let the ark fall in the mud. You guys remember the story? Right then and there. The ark stumbled, the ark was about to fall, winched up to, to stop the ark from falling, and God did what? Well, mo- most people will say God rewarded him, right, with, with some amazing things. You know, God sent like this ray of light that came down, and rubies started falling, and gold started falling, and all that. Oh, okay, so that's a different book. Now, what happened? He dropped dead. And, and, you know, many theologians over the years speculated on all of this stuff. But you know what the reality is? You know what the reality is? 
This is how deceived we are in sin. The ark of God represents the presence of God. And one of the things that the Bible makes very, very clear is God just cannot be around sin. It's just, just, not, it's just not possible. So we're over there looking. The ark is about to fall in mud. Oh, the ark is going to get dirty. The ark is going to get unclean. The ark is going to do all of those types of things. Did you guys know that in God's eyes, it's actually cleaner for him to roll around in mud than to be touched by us? Whoa, what do you mean, Shane? Because mud don't steal. Mud doesn't commit adultery. Mud doesn't lust. Mud doesn't murder. Mud doesn't lie. Mud doesn't do that stuff. And we're trying to do something good And in all actuality, we touched God's glory with impure hands. You see what I mean? That's how infected, that's how deluded we are. That we actually think that that we're cleaner than mud. (laughs) Man, this is what we've got to make sure that we get clear in our mind. And it's not even just our person that when we do good, because we're so impure with sins, that even our good works is filthy rags? Did you know that motive is everything? Even when it comes to doing things that are good, like, you know, not touching the ark, but maybe trying to grab the, the, the cart and pull it, maybe. Whoa, that was good. But here's the thing. Motive is everything. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Matthew 15, 8. These people honor me with their lips. Now, would you all agree that honoring God is a good thing? Yeah. We would all say that. Honoring God is a good thing. If this individual is honoring God, it's a good thing. But this was an accusation that was given to the people. Christ said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Which means that if you're doing something good, but your heart is bad, it's a reproach to God. Oh, saying, I don't, I don't know if I really, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I mean, this is all over scripture about how God is detested with our sacrifices. Do you think that making sacrifices is a good thing? Yeah. Making sacrifices is obedient? Yeah. But God detested the sacrifice of the people. Why? Because their motives were bad. All right, I know I gave this example before. I'm going to give it to you again. Me and Janine, we get into an argument. Rah, 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 rah. You know, she's always wrong, but you know what? We get into an argument, but rah, 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 rah. So I'm not talking to you anymore. Well, I'm not talking to you. So Janine goes into, I don't even know where she goes, but let's just pretend she goes into the living room and then I go into the bedroom, which, which I don't think that happens, but let's just say. So I'm in the bedroom, and I'm, I'm upset. You know, she just doesn't understand. She does not understand. If she read her Bible more, she would realize I was writing this. And, you know, and just, you know she needs to pray. I need to cast that devil out of her, that lady. <laughs> Don't act, guys, like you haven't said that. You know, look at Al. Al's over there like, oh, yeah, that was just last night. <laughs> and, and we're mad. And I'm just like, I'm not talking to her. No way. I'm not talking. We go like this, right? I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to say anything to her. And you know what? And then she's just on her own. And then I'm like this. But I'm sure I'm hungry. 
I don't really want to go anywhere. I don't, I, I, I don't want to cook anything. And it's actually her turn to cook. She's mad at me. She, she's not going to make me anything for dinner tonight. So this is what I do. I better go apologize to her so that she makes dinner. Sweetie, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. You know, and, and I just, I was, it was foolish of me to argue with you on all this stuff. So please, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Okay. Good. So then she goes to the kitchen and she starts making dinner. And I'm sitting there. Wow, that's really good. How many of you all think that what I did was absolutely despicable? Huh? Yeah, like I see a lot of, I see a lot of ladies nodding their head, but the guys are like, oh, I don't know if I see anything wrong with that. that that's a good idea, Shane. <laughs> yeah, the ladies are all, yes. Why? Because motive is everything. I did that, only apologize, just so that she would give me something. That's horrible, isn't it? Awful that I would do something like that. And all of you guys see it. All of you guys recognize it. Apologize to her just so that she would make something for me and give me something good. I apologize so she could give me something. Right. I'm not sure what you said, but okay. Um, I'll, I'll get with you after. <laughs> but here's the thing, family. Do you know that what I just did is what the prosperity is, gospel is teaching you to do every day to God. Apologize and repent. Do things that are right so that he will bless you. Oh my gosh. Anyway, that's just a little side thing. So Shane, after saying that, dude, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're stained with sin. We can't even touch the ark without dying because we're stained with sin. All these things bad in my life. All this... We're in trouble. Like Shane, we're in trouble in a really bad way. Really bad way. We're sinning even if we think we're not sinning. Oh yeah, it gets even worse. Do you realize that we're sinning and you're sinning without doing anything? What do you mean? Psalm 19. Psalm 19.12. It's actually not up here. I put this in this morning. Psalm 19.12. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? He's praying, cleanse me from these hidden faults. God, forgive me and cleanse me from the sins that I don't even know I committed. What about those? Man, okay, Shane, we are really in trouble now. <laughs> wow, we're really in, in, a lot, in, a really, in really bad shape. Yeah, we're in such bad shape. In depravity, all this stuff that the Bible is making it very clear as to how far we have fallen short of the glory of God and just how impure, how corrupted we are in sin. And instead, we're turning on the radio station, turning on the TV, you know, online on the computer, listening to podcasts about how we can be successful in this life, how we can have our best life now, how we can have peace in politics, how to have as much pleasure in the world without going to hell, how we can have our 
our cake and eat it too, how to be a good Christian so that God will give you all the desires of your heart, how to handle inflation, how to make real life look like your social media life. Success is not just with my avatar. How can I have that success be with me? How to be your authentic self, how to get more spiritual therapy, more ways to live a moral life in five easy steps, how to get God to answer your call when you need him. This is what we want to listen to. You don't recognize the reality of the situation. Yeah, we've got problems. And the problems is not what's around us. The problem is us. One of my mentors says all the time, he says, Shane, if you don't think you are the worst person in the world, you don't know yourself too good. Wow. The reality is we sin. We keep sinning and we're doing it when we don't even know it. We are offending the living God. We are rebelling against the living God. We are shaming the living God. How bad is it? It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Family, everyone here at Central Baptist Church and everybody that's watching this video, I will guarantee you this in light of God's word. Every single thing, every difficult thing that we are experiencing today is nothing compared to the weeping and gnashing of teeth that's going to happen in hell. It's a reality. But Shane, is there really nothing we can do about it? Nothing. Let me say that again. Nothing. This is what Paul is illustrating when he says that we are dead because of our sin. The Greek word nekros, dead, clearly and simply defined as corpse. We are corpses. We are spiritual corpses because of our sins. And family, this shouldn't be a surprise. Did not God tell us that this is what was going to happen to us if we ate the fruit? Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. And all of the Apostle Paul is just making us aware, hey, God was not messing around when he said that God said that if sin was going to come in, if you were going to bring sin into this world, you were surely going to die. Paul is making it super clear that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they died along with all of humanity. We died. We are dead. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 6. But the widow who lives only for the pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. The description is dead. The description is dead. Hey, Steve, can I borrow you for a second? Um, the description is death. God said that we would die, and we did. It's a radical situation. Oh, actually, yeah, 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 come, come, come. Sorry. I just remembered, I promised Jack I would use him in my next illustration. Can you go look at, watch the camera? Jack, can you come? Yeah. I promised Jack I would let him be in the next illustration. Yeah, come up on stage. Stand right here next to me. Wow. Remember when we could do that? 
Yeah, Don might not be able to remember that far back. Um, <laughs> just messed up. The description is death, a radical situation that requires a radical solution. So this is why we got to stop saying things like we're broken in sin. We're stained in sin. We're weak because of sin. This is the result of our culture's high view of man and low view of God. We are utterly corrupted. We are dead. We're not broken. Not dead. Brokenness implies that we could be fixed. Weak implies that we can be strengthened. Being stained implies that we can just be clean. But the reality is, is that bad people, it's that we are not bad people that need to be made good. We are dead people that need to be made alive. We can do nothing about it. So Jack, here, here, so come down. Oh, you got a nice suit on, but lay down. Okay. <laughs> this way or that yeah, way? Yeah, this way. Okay. Maybe not face, how about face this way? So everyone can see. Can everybody see? Probably can't see. Okay, now pretend you're sick. Okay? Yeah, you're sick. Oh, here we go. New, new, new water here. <laughs> Steve is thanking God I'm not using him right now. But Jack is sick. He's not feeling well. And he's dehydrated. And if he just drinks some water, he might actually be okay. You know, so you check on Jack. He's sick. Jack moan. Ooh, uh, yeah, okay. So Jack's not feeling good. Jack, you're not feeling good. I know. So, oh, yeah, you got a little bit of fever, all this stuff. So here's the thing. So Jack is sick. He's not feeling well. And he's dehydrated. So all he's got to do is drink some water, right? Jack, why don't you come sit up here really quick? And I want you to drink this water. Okay, now Jack is, you know, going to lay down for a couple of hours, you know, and then, Jack, you need a little more water, so why don't you come drink some of this water? You're just making me do sit-ups, aren't you? Right, do sit-ups. It'll make you stronger. Okay. And if we keep doing this over and over again, right, Jack is going to start to feel a little better. He's sick, and all he has to do is drink water. This is what we think Christianity is like. That God is there giving us the water, all we got to do is drink. But this is not the picture that we get in Scripture. It's not the picture we get in Scripture. Because the picture that we're getting when it comes to sin is we're not weak in sin. We're not broken in sin. We're dead in sin. Jack, pretend you're dead. Jack, you died from the dehydration. All you got to do is drink some water. Can you drink this water for me? Hey, you're dead. <laughs> He's messing up my illustration. Jack, all you got to do is drink this water. Jack, seriously, you're going to be so much better. You're going to have life and life more abundant if you drink some of this water. Jack, why aren't you drinking this water? Jack! Why isn't Jack drinking the water? How can you repent and believe in God if you don't, if you're already dead? You can't. You can't. 
This is the illustration that Paul gives and wants us to see when it comes to what we are in sin. We are dead in sin, totally depraved, totally unable to get us out of this situation. All right, let's give Jack a hand. Thank you, Jack. Radical situation. A radical situation that... uh, radical situation that requires a radical solution. So yes, Jack is dehydrated. Jack needs water. Jack will be able to drink the water when what happens? When Jack is brought back to life. And when Jack is brought back to life, he can drink the water and not be dehydrated anymore. Family, we needed Christ to give us life Christ so that we need the life that he gives for us to truly be born again and uh, oops sorry so we can be born again and when we are born again we can see the kingdom of God isn't that amazing Jack I'm not going to drink this truly be born again so that we can see the kingdom of heaven We can now do, because we have life, what we're supposed to do. Life and life more abundant, family. Without Christ, we can do nothing to get life. There is no life without Christ. And what we need is life. We don't need to be fixed, because we're not broken. We are dead. We're not needing healing, because we're not sick. We are dead. We don't need cleaning, Because we're not dirty, we're dead. We don't need strengthening because we're not weak. We are dead. We are dead and need to be made alive. And there is only one who can raise the dead. There must be a sovereign blessing from, of life from God. The scriptures show that when Elijah stretched himself upon the dead body, his heart beat against the stillness of the boy's chest, brought through and brought life. In the same way Christ laid his full life down, the deadness on the cross, and then came life, and life more abundant. If we're Christians today, we were all once dead, but through Christ, supernatural surgery was performed. He didn't fix our heart. He didn't heal our heart. He didn't clean our heart. He didn't strengthen our heart. He gave us a new heart. See, this is what I mean by radical situation demands a radical solution. We are dead, corrupted. It wasn't a fixed heart. We needed a new one. We needed a brand new heart. Not only were we delivered from death of sin, but he also delivered us from the guilt of sin. The record of our sins has been nailed to the cross. In other words, family, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our sins from us. Family, the story is told about our beloved reformer, Martin Luther. He experienced the reality of this truth in a dream. He had a dream, and in this dream, he was visited at night by Satan, who brought to him a record of his own life, written with his own hand. And the tempter said to him, Is it true? Did you write it? The poor and terrified Luther had to confess that it was all true. 
Scroll after scroll was unrolled and the same confession was wrung from him again and again. And at length, the evil one prepared to take his departure, having brought Luther down to the lowest depths of abject misery. I mean, he saw all the records of all the things that was wrong, and it was just scroll after scroll after scroll of all the evil things that he's done. And Luther is just starting to, to, to fall down to the lowest depths of abject misery. Then suddenly the reformer turned to the tempter, and he said, it is true. Every single word of everything that's in these scrolls is absolutely true. I said it, I did it, I did not do it, things that I should have done, I didn't do it. All of that stuff that you have on these scrolls is absolutely 100% true. But I need you to do one thing for me before you go. I want you to also at the end write across all of the scrolls the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Absolutely, it's true. Absolutely, we've fallen short of the glory of God. Absolutely, we've sinned. Many of us got longer scrolls than others. But you know what? The blood of Christ covers it all. We are alive in Christ. In Christ, we have life and life more abundantly. It is the greatest victory. So you see here, family, Christ has conquered. We have conquered, and we will conquer. In light of all this, why in the world would anyone look to anyone but Christ for fullness? The only way we can have life and to be alive is in Christ and in Christ alone. Everything that comes against us is defeated by Christ and Christ alone. No weapon formed against me will prosper. All those who rise up against me will fall. He will shatter the teeth of the wicked. He has shattered the teeth. We don't go anywhere. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. Today, family, is anyone here thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. You will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest of foods. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. There is life and there is life more abundant in Christ and family, get this, there is no love from the Father in heaven apart from Christ in any way. You are not going to get the love of God apart from Christ in any way. Get it out of your minds. It is not going to happen. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, all according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. Family, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin, not dead in sin, dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. And family, I love this. First John, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. 
Not that we loved God. Why? Because we're dead. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. And does the scripture say that? Well, we got to repent, yeah. But we see in the scriptures, God makes it very clear. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift that God gives us. The Bible also says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confess your sins. Repent, confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is life and life more abundant that we find in Christ and in Christ alone. The victory is won. May I reach heaven joys, O bright heaven's sun. Death, where is your sting? Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.